We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me as always, Jack Manuel. And Jack, we're talking about a Nets loss to the Celtics, 103-92. How are we doing? Not bad, Nick. You know, the streak had to end at some time, I guess. Yeah, the streak ended. This was familiar place for the Nets after last year's postseason. We're going to jump into that and plenty more. Jack, where do you want to start? I want to start with Kevin Durant, Nick, because that was the key thing that stuck out to me about you know the Celtics series was Kevin Durant being guarded incredibly well by Ima Yudoka and, and the defense. What did you see? Obviously, and the Celtics have been struggling a little bit defensively to start the season, but have been lights out offensively. You know, to limit the Boston Celtics to only 103 points and 13 points in the third quarter. You know, what were the, the things defensively as a team, the stuff from Kevin Durant and Joe Mazzola and, and his squad, what did you see uh, in terms of those indicators? Yeah, I think Kevin Durant in this one, when he got single coverage, he was able to kind of go to work and get shots that he liked and got to spots that he's liked. And then when the Celtics, I felt like, picked up the defensive intensity in that second half, started you know, sending those double teams a little bit differently than some of the lesser teams the Nets have faced. KD wasn't able to read them. A couple deflections here or there, and also just a couple times being loose with the ball. You know, something we saw again in last year's postseason. And hoping that Kevin Durant could correct that and, you know, guys could get in better positions to give him kind of a a safety valve to drop the ball off to. It was just a, a little distressed, and you could tell the difference in going against a Celtics team with the chemistry and the defensive talent they have in comparison to any team the Nets have faced this season. Yeah, Kevin Durant, 40 minutes tonight, 13-24 from the field, only one of five from three, did get to the free throw line uh, five times, hit four of them, had seven boards, had five assists, had two steals and two blocks, but as you alluded to, the eight turnovers, I think that was, how much of that was self-inflicted from Kevin Durant, how much of that was, you know, the right doubles at the right times, say like Jalen Brown coming from the corner here and there, and you, you sort of alluded to, you know, because Royce, and, and it was sort of, it, it seemed to me that it might have been emblematic like the early points of the season where Kevin Durant had high turnover numbers yep. and there was a lack of cohesion in chemistry. Guys weren't hitting their shots. Guys weren't cutting. Guys weren't in the right positions. Was it a sort of repeat of, of early season woes in terms of that for KD and the team overall? Yeah, I think you could throw that in there. I think uh, you'd probably do 66% on KD and maybe 33% on the Celtics. I think Kevin Durant's a good enough player and obviously an all-time great that he can adjust the defenses. And he was... 
just making some mistakes out there. You know, sometimes it was a double team, but there was plays where, you know, late in this game, Tatum just kind of, you know, smacked the ball out of his hands and a couple passes just not fully locked in. I will say Katie was great defensively in stretches in this game, blocked a couple shots, you know, was able to lock in on Tatum on some plays and just really was engaged there. It just felt like some of the fatigue of facing a defense like this through a 48-minute game kind of caught up to him, and he did play 40 minutes tonight. Yeah, the the minutes load we heard, you know, Jacques Vaughn say that you know it's a not an area of concern, but something that they're trying to limit. It's it's something that they do know about. You know, TJ Warren is now back, and awesome to hear you got you and Saint speak speak about that in the last episode. He played 18 minutes tonight, but because you know you still have you know Ben Simmons out, you still have Utah Watanabe yep. out. Those are two wing bigger guys that alleviate that concern. You're not going to give 20 minutes to Cam Thomas and. Seth Curry had about 40 billion fouls within like three minutes. So it's, it's look, Royce O'Neill had 41 and Kyrie Irving had 40. So the minutes load is an issue, but I also do think it's not the be all and end all because Kevin and they Durant. They have two days to, off. Exactly. And then Kevin Durant wants to play 48, 49 minutes out of a 48 minute game. So look, Katie had his issues, but he's still playing very, very good basketball. And as you alluded to defensively, that's. Something that you automatically, when you're coming off a serious injury, whether it's Achilles, whether it's a knee injury, whether it's ankle, whatever, you expect a player to lose a step there. But Kevin Durant, on occasion, has been playing all defensive caliber defense. Yeah. He's been playing it, and he's been rebounding really well. Also, it's just, it's something that it's just like, man, like, how is this guy doing this? And I think that, you know, this wasn't the best game of his career by any stretch, even as a Brooklyn net, but the fact that he's playing and you've alluded to it, I've sort of spoken about it. Everyone's spoken about it like two way basketball. Like yep. he's playing as well, both ends of the floor. He might not be godly offensively uh, a certain night, but he'll have the playmaking there. He'll have the defense. There, he'll have the rebounding there. So something to, to it's just something to relish. You know, I, yes. I just Kevin Durant defensively is always a, a lot of fun. Yeah, 100%. I mean, and just as a weak side rim protector in this game, he had an impact, you know, not just blocking shots, but contesting shots. And like you said, Jack, to see him kind of be able to still do that, that was always the thing you thought he would lose from the Achilles was the defense. And, you know, he's he's been great for the Nets in that area, and he's probably been one of their best defenders this season, which isn't necessarily saying a ton, but still something. Yeah, and look, Nick, looking at a lot of the general statistical indicators, you know, a lot of them are similar. You know, the Nets didn't shoot the ball well from three, but they didn't shoot awfully. You know, the, the Celtics, you know, shot it a little bit better. Maybe that's one sort of area. But one thing that does stick out to me, and it's probably the only one that really does, is the fast break points. Yep. The Boston Celtics had 26 to the Nets 13. You clean that up a little bit, and was the, all that transition to poor transition defense, what was it, Nick, that allowed the Boston Celtics have a 13-point advantage in that department. Yeah, I think it's two things. It's poor transition offense for the Nets because they easily should have had 20 fast break points in this game. You know, there's probably at least three or three to five missed opportunities in that first quarter alone. And then I think, you know, allowing a team to get out and run is usually, you know, bad shots offensively or turnovers. And there were turnovers in this game, and a lot of those led to easy opportunities for the Celtics in which they capitalized on and the Nets didn't. And that was a huge factor. And like you said, that's 13 points. And that's the difference in the game. You know, a couple three-point shots here and there, too, as well. But overall, you know, the Nets were able to match up with them pretty well. It was just the mistakes the Nets made, the Celtics capitalized on. And the mistakes that the Celtics made, the Nets failed to capitalize on. Yeah, you alluded to the turnovers. The Boston Celtics had more turnovers. They had yeah. 17 turnovers themselves. The Nets had 15. And there was a point in the game when they only had like two in the first quarter, I think it was. And then they racked up a, a couple little dinky ones here and there. And Eight, the points left alone. Turn- 
Yeah, exactly. So, you know, the points of turnover is 18 apiece. So I, I think, yeah, the, a lot of it is, you know, when you're watching on a game-by-game scenario like you and I do, when you see the types of plays that the the Nets are getting out in, like there was a couple times where like transition threes are the things that you know really give a, a heap of boost to one team or another. The Nets could have had a couple of chances there and unfortunately couldn't capitalize on them. But yeah, did I guess I want to just ask a general point, Nick, before going to, to the rest of the rotation. Did tonight's game show you that the Nets are worse than where they're at after this sort of streak? You know, they're, I think, leading the league in terms of their win streak that they had. Do you think that they are you know, a, a fringe contender? Are the Boston Celtics in a tier of their own with, like, the Bucks or whatever? Where, where do you feel overall about the Nets after coming up against the benchmark in the edge, which is the Boston Celtics? Yeah, and, think- you know, we versed the Bucks as well, Nick, and we had a, a decent enough game against both of them. So to fall shy just of them... A couple of fastback points here, there a couple of threes here or there. Is that encouraging, or is that a little bit of window glossing or whatever the the thing is? It's you know not totally you know reflective of what actually did happen. Yeah, I think going to this game, we thought the Celtics were a tier above the Nets, and I think after this game, the Celtics are still a tier above the Nets. I think you know. If the Nets were to beat them in this game, they would have had to play a really, really good game. It's not like the Celtics were perfect in this one either, as you mentioned. You know, the Nets held them to 13 points, and some of that was the Celtics' own doing and missing shots. So I think it's clear the Nets need to get better as a team. Obviously, some of the missing pieces would help, but also the Celtics were missing Marcus Martin, Robert Williams in this game as well. So they're two pretty big pieces for them. And I think the Nets, you know, could make an upgrade. I think... um, in situations like this, you look at, you know, guys who underperformed. And Royce O'Neal was a guy in this game, two of eight from three. Not obviously, you know, the most skilled three-point shooter, but in a different spot. Maybe somebody could make the Celtics pay. You know, they gave him those three-point shots. They kind of let him go to work in different situations. You know, maybe that's TJ Warren down the line, or maybe that's an upgrade in a trade. Yeah, Joe Harris was the only guy that shot above 50% from three tonight and even 40% for for that mark. So he was the reason why the Nets were... The statistics don't look as bad as they did because, you know, Royce O'Neal, two of eight from three. Kevin Durant, one of five. Kyrie Irving, one of five. Uh, you had, you know, one or two from Cam Thomas. So, like, in terms of the volume, I, I was sort of alluding to, and, you know, Darren Sharp hit one, but that was garbage time. time. So, yeah. Garbage time. So, I, I think that, you know, Royce O'Neal is going to be... <sighs> not polarizing because I think that everyone's sort of seeing what Bruce Brown's doing. And I, I promised on a previous pod that this will be the last sort of Bruce Brown talk, but he keeps speaking about, you know, the nets and you know when he speaks about the nets, we're a nets podcast. So we sort of do bring it up and, you know, you compare Royce O'Neill and Bruce Brown, who's having a better season, Bruce Brown by, you know, a country mile and having a guy like him in the rotation instead of a Patty Mills, instead of a Seth Curry, instead of a Cam Thomas or, or, or whoever, it just gives you an extra body at the guard forward center sort of position. He's a, a hybrid sort of guy. But back to Royce O'Neill, I think that his inconsistencies are, are, are a big reason why the Nets might struggle offensively because he can like have like 40 billion assists and like a triple-double or whatever and not shoot the ball well. But he didn't. He didn't increase the level of like playmaking in terms of like to make up for his lack of three point shooting tonight. You know, the volume was there. He took the most three point shots. He was getting them as you alluded to. So it's going to be a a, a hit and miss. It's a, it's a make or miss league when it comes to, you know, (laughs) a lot of offenses. And when the Nets, you know, have Royce O'Neal and Joe Harris, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Rand, you know, you think that's a sort of four out ish offense in the absence of Ben Simmons, but Maybe it's sort of three and a half when you count in Royce and Neil because Joe Harris is starting to find a little bit of his form there, which is positive, and we'll get to it in a little bit.
Yeah, I think you're right, Jack. I think it's almost three and a half because it's like 50-50 if Royce is going to have a big game from three or not. And I think almost similar to what happened to Bruce Brown in that Boston series was he's a, a solid ball handler and he's a solid playmaker, but he's not, you know, great to good or anything like that. And the same thing with Royce O'Neal. You know, he's not able to create as much against a great defense like Boston. You know, they put more, more ball pressure on him. They take away some of those easy shots he got at the rim. You know, the Nets felt like they were blocked a ton at the rim in this game. And that goes for pretty much everybody on the team. Also, one more note on Royce was, you know, he we've mentioned this before. You know, he's not necessarily a great athlete, does better when he has to defend up. And Jalen Brown was just able to kind of cook him one on one in a lot of situations. And it's just a difference in athleticism. You know, nothing really Royce can do in that situation. Jalen's a great athlete. Are you worried about his point of attack defense, Nick? Because he's asked to be the best point of attack defender. And especially in the absence of Ben Simmons, who probably is a much better point of attack yep. defender um, and just a, a much better all-round defender because you know, statistically there's a, a lot of indicators that show from Royce O'Neal from last season, as I've alluded to and plenty of others have as well, and this season the eye test. It, does it worry you at all? And maybe yeah. it worries you more in the absence of Utah who you know, tries his best and is a, a pretty fluid athlete for, for what he is. And in the absence of Ben Simmons, it increases that defensive burden for him. Yeah, I think it is a worry. I think when you get close to the postseason, it's like a question of, you know, where does he fit? You know, and ideally you're not playing Ben Simmons and Nick Claxton together in a playoff lineup. So now that's kind of forcing Royce to jump up. And like we've kind of talked about, and like I mentioned earlier, maybe that's a position you look to upgrade. You know, someone that you could get someone just a little bit better offensively or a little bit better defensively. You know, he's not a bad player, but he's definitely more of a fifth starter type. And in some situations, you could see how that could be, you know, an outlet for the other team's defense. Just to go back to the three-point shooting a little bit, went on to basketball reference. There's 13 games this season where Royce O'Neal has shot 40% or more, and there is now 12 games where he shot 33% or less. So yeah. that is literally the 50-50 scenario that we're mm. alluding to. I just thought, I wonder if the stats back up the eye test. And yeah, it, they certainly do after tonight. But We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Nick, to get to somewhat of a positive, Joe Harris looks to be finding a, a little bit of his form and you know, some people might be saying increasing his trade value, but I, I, I always, ever, ever since you alluded to, you know, his defense, he was doing like that little thing where he just goes up to like uh, the, the opposing player, tries to a little bit, of, have a little bit of a swipe and then get back and stay pretty close to the body. Did that to Jason Tatum a couple yeah. times. I, I just thought that Joe's finding it. Look, his mid range shot is gone. It was something that he, he used to have, you know, we wouldn't call him a three level scorer because he's a, a 
a one-level score in terms of his three-point shooting. That's like 100%. And he's a straight-line driver, so like maybe give him half a mark there and maybe give him half a mark. So it's like a two-level scorer with his mid-range shot. But the mid-range shot's completely gone. The straight-line drives uh, are a bit... He, just, maybe he's like, doesn't have the lift when he goes up for the layups. And one thing he did really well in previous seasons when he was having success, he was digging his shoulder into the defender's chest, kind of preventing him from getting up. And right now he's not doing that. No, it's still a, a comfort with, with his body and just finding the sort of rhythm and stuff there. But, you know, five attempts from the field, three or five from three, had six boards, including offensive boards, had two steals. And in terms of the, the plus minus, in, you know, minus seven, but the rest of the starters were minus 11 or worse. So Joe was the most valuable starter because, you know, the, the, the Celtics starters just completely outclassed and outscored the Nets in every department. So... Are you where? Where do you stand? I guess with Joe Harris now, Nick. After you know some inconsistencies, getting running into a little bit of form. Yeah, we'll do more general discussions about you know trade stuff. You know, we, we want to do that in the future. Do a deep dive on it. But how are you feeling about Joe right now? Yeah, I think Joe's starting to come into form. You know, other than the uh, driving to the rim, the three point shooting is looking better. There's more confidence, less hesitation. The defense has improved. You know, rebounding is solid. I thought he was solid in this game. You know, he was pretty good. I think defensively held up a little better than I thought he was going to hold up. So, you know, I think it's real progress. And he's a guy I feel pretty comfortable in his role. You know, maybe not 36 minutes every single night, but, you know, 30 minutes would probably be good for Joe when he's knocking down a three ball. Yeah, I mean, if Seth Curry didn't have four fouls in like the three or four minutes, he only finished with four. He didn't. And he, he had one. Cooked. He got cooked so badly. And I think that. He did it in the Celtic series last year for certain periods as well. But when you have Cam Thomas, Seth Curry, Kyrie Irving, and Patty Mills, who are guys on your roster, there is a weak point in pretty much probably every rotation. And you know, the consolidation trades are something we've spoken about quite a bit. But in saying that, Nick, you know, Nick Claxton, 38 minutes in tonight, four or five from the field, only one or six from the free throw line, was one point away from a double-double, had 14 boards, five of them offensive, two blocks, uh, had a steal, also had a, and an assist as well. And the Nets, you know, won the offensive rebounding battle, 11 to eight, and you give a, a, a large brunt of the credit there to Nick Claxton because, you know, they like to go small with Al Horford a lot of the time. So Claxton did find a, a bit of an advantage there. How do you think he played? And this sort of Celtics matchup kind of suits him in a weird way. Yeah, it's kind of crazy that someone started Andre Drummond over him last year in the postseason. But <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave that for another day. But no, Clax was awesome. You know, I think you could argue that Clax, in terms of expectations going to the game, was the best net, you know, just for what you expected to see him do. I think defensively, he's starting to get better at defending uh, Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. I thought he had a couple of really nice contests on Jalen Brown. Uh, Tatum, he's starting to get a feel for what he can do. The Celtics almost enjoy it, though, because it feels like they like it because they get the switch and they pull clacks away from the rim, and then there's no rim protection, and then you can get Royce O'Neal in a one-on-one with Jalen Brown, and now Clax is pulled off on Tatum, or even you know Horford does enough to pull him to the corner. So that's where it's like the Celtics are so tough to defend with the five-out lineups that they play, and they play five-out lineups the entire game. Yeah, they weren't destroyed in points in the paint, despite what you, you alluded to there. They only won it by two, and it's essentially the three point the three point shooting which allows them to really shine. Where they shot nearly forty percent, and the Nets only shot thirty five percent. It's just that five out is just it gives you so many different openings and so many different kickouts. You've got Malcolm Brogdon doing his thing as well. He's an incredible driver. So, Clax is a good matchup, but you also need like 
you know, another clacks, but that can kind yep. of shoot or be a bit more offensive. And maybe that's Ben Simmons, but we'll have to see how that pans out going forward. But Nick Kyrie Irving tonight, 40 minutes, 7 to 21 from the field, only 1 of 5 from 3, hit all three of his free, free throws, did have eight boards, including three of them offensive, had five dimes, had a block as well, 18 points. How do you think Kyrie went against his former team? Yeah, I thought Kyrie played hard in this game. Uh, he just didn't shoot well. You know, I thought he did a lot of things well. Um, in terms of a negative, the overhelping is still an issue, especially against a team like Boston who has great three-point shooters. And I think the bigger issue is Kyrie helping on guys when they don't need help. You know, Clax is in a one-on-one situation. He's probably been your best defender this season. Why are you helping him? You know, let him go to work. Let him do his thing. And I think that's the frustrating thing. And then, you know, the whistle's never really good for Kyrie, even though he spent a lot of time in the paint this game. But overall, you know, just didn't shoot well in this one. And I thought he had a lot of makeable shots. Yeah, it's just times where Kyrie Irving normally is an incredibly efficient player, as is Kevin Durant. And I think Kyrie Irving's probably a better three-point shooter to see him go one of five from three. It's one of his poorer games uh, from the arc. And it sort of alludes to what we were sort of chatting about, you know, a couple of fast break points here or there, a couple of threes here or there. And maybe the Nets, it sort of is what the series was last year where they only lost by a a combined 18 points across the four games. And Kyrie Irving went off in game one. And he's... I think it's just it's 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 this is what Kyrie can be like you know it's yeah. just uh, ultimately and you know, getting to line only three times it just seems to me that the Nets don't get a great whistle for just because of the nature of the players the play types and the player archetypes of what Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving does whereas Tatum and Brown and and these sort of guys and Malcolm Brogdon uh, are getting easier free throws and getting easier trips to the line you know Jalen Brown took eleven of them Tatum took six of them Malcolm Brogdon took three of them. And you know those guys are very good three point uh, free throw shooters as well. So it's it's just one of those things. But I think physical physicality and length, you know, have always kind of hampered Kyrie in situations, and the Celtics have plenty of that. And I think he mentioned in his post game comments like they do a great job of you know selling out for the drives and forcing kickouts. And this kind of gets back to Royce O'Neal, and not to you know harp on him. It's either him or Cam Thomas, whoever's out there is a team that they feel like all right, they're gonna kick it out to this player. They might hesitate to shoot the ball, or we'd rather see them shoot rather than Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, or Joe Harris. Yeah, it's like there's liabilities on either end of the floor, whether it's yep. Seth Curry, Kyrie Irving, Cam Thomas defensively. Offensively, is it Royce O'Neal? Is it Cam Thomas? Who, who are they sort of shading off of? Yep. To and TJ Warren action. doesn't have his three ball, and he's kind of hesitant from that area as well. Speaking of TJ Warren, Nick's second game back, 18 minutes. You know, it seems to me that's going to be the mark for him for a little bit. Not as great as his first game, but still had four points, had an assist, had a couple of boards, two or two from the free throw line, did have a block as well. Uh, what are you seeing from TJ Warren? Is this just sort of like a let's remain patient with him? Let's not go all irrational Ben Simmons takes as you know, I was probably guilty of as well. I'll happily eat my words, but what are you seeing from TJ Warren so far in his second game back? Yeah, he's shaking off the rust still. I think it's uh, obviously a lot tougher to go against a defense like this with the talent they have. Even the Raptors are a good defense, but the Celtics are a whole nother level with some of the players and, you know, you know, missing a dribble here or there where he could probably, you know, take one more step into the paint, got blocked on a, a layup attempt in this one. And like I mentioned before, hesitant on that three ball just needs to find his rhythm and find also his spot with this team. I think defensively, he held up way better than I expected in a matchup like this. And that gives me a lot of hope moving forward that he could be that extra piece that the Nets have. 
Definitely. Uh, I just think that he's uh, the. You have more wing guys. You know, it's a wings league, as Kevin Durant has said, and as he finds his form, as Utah hopefully comes back. But then it's like, how long is it going to take Utah and Ben to get back to a semblance of yep. their form? Because Utah was performing out of his mind. Ben Simmons was close to back to to his best. So it's just like. Not all the pieces are there just yet. You know, you've got a couple of pieces on, on the side and you want to put them in and, and finish off that jigsaw. But, you know, the Nets, as they stand right now, aren't in the worst position in the world. They're above 500 still, which, you know, isn't the, the worst thing in the world. They're performing well at home. They've still got a couple of games more at home. So it's not the worst thing in the world. It's not the, the best thing in the world either because you know, things are really clustered at the top. It seems to me that, you know, the Celtics, Bucks and Cavs in terms of their record and their standing are, are setting themselves apart. But the Nets certainly are in that sort of next tier where it's basically from like four to you know 11, really, maybe even 12 if you throw in the Bulls there. So how the Nets can finish off this homestand, go forward from there, hopefully get some guys back. You know, we'll, we'll wait and see what, what happens with Ben Simmons and, and his knee and Utah with the, the hamstring as well coming back but i think you know, vaughn said more ben will be evaluated after the game so maybe we'll get an update when the next 24 hours on ben simmons which would be positive because the nets are it's like the nets have depth in their rotation but it's the nature of the depth in their rotation yep. like yeah tj warren is good but he's coming back from injury yeah seth curry is good but he has been inconsistent and does he still have that confidence in his body yeah cam thomas is a talented player but he is relentlessly attacked on on the defensive end of the floor and can be a bit have that tunnel vision sometimes and you know, Mark Keith Morris and Patty Mills are NBA players, but they sh- they're probably very much on the you know end swing of their careers. So you get two guys back and replace you know Cam Thomas and and Seth Curry in the rotation. You got a lot of wings and maybe get another big. You know, things aren't doom and gloom for the Nets as they were when we did the podcast with Justin. The Nets are a disaster. You know, after that Kings game, they're certainly working their way back, but they're not back back. Yeah, they're 25 games in. There's been a lot of promise. I think this last stretch has really shown some things. And now they have, you know, a good chunk of games to work on and hopefully add a couple more pieces to this team and take that next step. You know, I think there's a world where you can see them getting a contention with one trade or guys just really locking in. So there's more hope than there was, you know, two weeks ago. How are you feeling? I guess I'll just ask you a general question. The next time we record, you record, whoever's recording next, uh, after the Hornets and the Hawks game, Thursday, Thursday my time, Saturday my time, Wednesday and Friday uh, American time. How do you think they finish this homestand? Yeah, I think they should take care of business. I think they should beat both those teams. Um, the Hornets clearly not a good team, and the Hawks are dealing with internal issues. Nate McMillan and Trey Young got into it recently, and Trey Young decided not to come to the game nasty stuff so we'll see what happens with that and i think the nets have kind of played the hawks pretty well over the course of the last two seasons and it's, it's been a lot of fun close games but the nets seem to always come out on top against that team now hopefully john collins is back healthy soon for reasons i will not disclose <laughs> i thought you were going to say healthy for the nets but uh, i just want to touch on <laughs> seth curry because i thought this was a really poor game for him and it's starting to be a little concerning because now this is three bad games in a row. And defensively, we know he's not good, but he looks even worse than he has. And offensively, he just has not been able to really get anything going. And then Cam Thomas is just an issue right now. It seemed like early on that he came in and he might be good in this game. And then just as the game progressed, you know, hesitant to shoot the three ball, some bad decisions and some bad shots and not good defensively, it's it's going to be a problem. So as you alluded to, getting those wings back is going to be huge. Big time, Nick. All right, Jack, anything else before we get out of here? 
Nah, but hopefully going forward, two more wins send this home stand and the Nets continue to move forward and move up those standings. As always, big thanks everybody for listening. Check the buzz on all stream platforms. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.